Open your Bibles toward the back of the New Testament to James chapter 1. It's on page 1011 in the blue Bible in front of you, if that's what you're using. James chapter 1, beginning in the second verse. After James introduces himself and says to who he's addressing, the Christians he's talking to in verse 1, he jumps right in with both feet in verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. I'm going to ask you this morning to, to work with me because I'm going to do something a little different from what we normally do. I'm going to preach the first half of the sermon, and that's really just laying the foundation for the second half. So stick with me, because if you fall asleep during the first half, you're not going to understand the second half. And it's really the second half that's the sermon. The first half is just to get us all on the same page, if you're with me. James speaks in this passage a couple of times about steadfastness. Did you see it? Steadfast. To be solid. Unmoving. Secure. Is that important? Is being steadfast important? Well, did you see the news Thursday? The four soldiers that were hurt as they were going down the turnpike and one of their wheels let loose and it flipped. Two of them are in critical condition. You want to be praying for them. Their tire just flew off. They don't know what happened. The wings on the airplane that I'm going to be on this afternoon flying to North Carolina... Is it important that they be steadfast? Yeah. Yes. 
I kind of like the idea that the wings stay on the plane. Being steadfast is important. Have you ever worked for a company that was on shaky ground and you never knew how much longer you were going to have your job? You ever been in a relationship? You weren't sure where the other person was? Wasn't real steadfast? You were committed, but you weren't sure about the other person. Being steadfast is important. Be it a car, an airplane, a relationship, a job. Steadfastness is what allows us to have security in life. Because without steadfastness, where is that security? Sure hope I have a job tomorrow. That's not security. One of the biggest lies that we have, this is the key off of last week, is that federal program called social, what? Security. How much security do we have in a program that's broke? Right? But you know what? Steadfastness is also important in our Christian faith. Where should we see steadfastness in us when it comes to our faith? Let me give you some just real quick. Write them down because we're going to come back and talk about them later. Where should we see steadfastness, that security, that that solid part of our Christian walk? Number one, in our beliefs. What we believe needs to be steadfast. We see people all the time. They believe in God, or they say they do, and then a period of time later, they don't believe in God anymore. Oh, I used to believe that stuff, but I don't believe it anymore. We need a faith, we need our beliefs to be steadfast, to be secure, not all over the place. We talk about today, and we complain because the world And their belief system keeps changing. They get further and further away from God every year. But how can we complain about the world changing in their faith if we're changing in our faith? If we're not steadfast in what we believe? Number two, not only should our faith, what we believe, be steadfast, so should our righteousness. Psalm 1 talks about the person who's committed to God and like a tree planted by the river, that water. He said its roots go deep, it's steadfast. The wicked, no, he's not like that. He's like the leaf that dries up and blows away. We're to be steadfast in our righteousness, not serving God and doing what's right one day and then the next day not. Our righteousness needs to be solid. Isaiah 106, uh, excuse me, uh, Isaiah says, blessed are they who do righteousness all the time. Not just sometimes. They're steadfast and they do it all the time. Number three, our love. Over 400 times in the Bible, God's love is referred to as steadfast love. 
But there are a few verses in the Bible as well that talk about our love and how our love is to be steadfast. Our love is to be secure. Now, to be honest, we really can't think about love being steadfast or not steadfast when you think about it. Because if our love is not steadfast, then it's not really love. Right? Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love, what? Never fails. Love always endures. If we don't have a steadfast love, then we don't have love. Because true love stands the test of time. It is steadfast. Number four, we should be steadfast in our service to God. And this is where many of us are falling short today. Oh, we've got good beliefs. We love the Lord. We say we love the Lord. But when it comes to serving the Lord, I'm really busy. I want to serve God more, but I'm just, I don't have time. Well, that's not steadfast. If our service for God depends on whether we've got other things going on in our lives, it's not real steadfast. It's not where it ought to be. Finally, number five, as a Christian, we should have all those first four things, plus we should have a steadfast hope. We came a few weeks ago when we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in our resurrection after we die because of Christ. What good is hope if it's not steadfast? If some days you get up and you have hope and other days you get up and you don't have hope, what good is it if it's not solid? If circumstances in life can shake your hope. What good is it? Too many people today claim to be Christians and when things are going good in their lives, oh, they're hopeful. But then a wave comes and rocks their boat just a little bit and, oh no, what am I going to do now? We need a hope that is steadfast, that is secure. I was at the gas station this past week and I was going in to pay for my gas, and the woman in front of me ordered a lottery ticket. It's not noteworthy, really. What was noteworthy was that she was quoting Scripture as she was ordering, getting her lottery ticket. Now, I thought that might be a little bit of a contradiction there. My hope is in God, but man, come on. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes, <laughs> Right? When you're putting your hope in a lottery ticket, I don't think your hope is in God like it's supposed to be. Are you with me? We need a solid hope that does not move. But this morning, I'm giving you these things that that we need to have steadfastly in our lives. Love, faith, hope, service, all of that. Anybody want to argue against that? No, because we know, don't we? Deep down, we know that we need to be steadfast in these five areas. And deep down, we know we're not as steadfast as we should be.
There's no debate on that. We're not going to come into the presence of God and lie and say, oh, no, I'm steadfast, I'm secure in all of those. We're not. We're not going to lie. We expect God to be steadfast in his love for us. We expect God to be steadfast in keeping his promises to us. But we also want God to be okay with us not being completely steadfast with him. Come on. We're on again, off again with our service. We're on again, off again following Christ. And we want God to be okay with that. Yeah, 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 I know I should be doing better. But God knows what's going on in my life. God knows the problems I've got going on. And and if those things weren't in my life, then I could do it better. There's a problem we want to address this morning. How can we get to be more steadfast? More than just wishing or hoping that maybe someday we'll be more solid in our faith. What can we do to be more steadfast? In our walk with Christ. Look at verse 2. The verse we began with this morning. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, verse 3, that the testing of your faith, what? Produces steadfastness. How do we become more steadfast? We become more steadfast through testing. Notice, this is not temptation. Temptation and testing are two different things. Verse 13, James is very clear to tell us that God does not tempt us to sin. God never sins, God is not tempted to sin, and God never tempts anyone to sin. That's Satan's job. But... God does test us. Now, when we think of testing, we often think of school. You cover a a unit of material, you learn some stuff, and then you take a test to see how well you learned it. That's really not what the Bible talks about or what it means when it talks about testing. To test something is to put it through stress. And in that testing, in that trying, it strengthens it. A better example might be the way that we strengthen steel. You harden steel by continuing to heat it, cool it, heat it and cool it. And that process of testing it, that process of putting it through that that tempering, is what strengthens it. That's what the Bible talks about. We become more steadfast when we're put through tests which strengthen us. So let's get you involved for just a second. What tests your faith? When you're going through life, when do you find your faith tested most? Anybody? What? 
Jim. Payday. Sometimes financial, let's stick with that one for a minute. Financial tests are big for many of us. We're living paycheck to paycheck, always worried that something's going to break. Right? And just about, and this is the way I found in my life, just about when you think you're going to get over the hump, and you get a little bit of money in the bank, you think, okay, good, I got, and then something will break. Well, there went that money. Financial stress is a big test for us. It really is. Am I going to trust God and be faithful with my money? And I'll, I'll put it, it's not payday, Jim. It's the offering. Seriously. That's a huge test. When the offering plate comes by, am I going to put money in or am I going to hold on to what I've got because I just don't have very much? You see, that's a big test. Yeah. Pardon me? Just the, just getting through the day sometimes is a test. Okay? Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get up in the morning and today is going to be the day I'm going to live out my faith. I'm telling you. Right? And then by 9.30, you know, you're cussing somebody out. That didn't work so well, did it? Okay. Daryl. Health, finances and health are two big areas. When everything's going well, we're fine. But then when the doctor says, and you get that phone call, yeah, the test showed something. And immediately, what? That's a test of our faith. Yeah. Comparing ourselves to others. Yeah. Yep. Josh? Let's, let's broaden that out. It's relationships. Relationships test our faith a lot. People bring out the worst in us. Okay? And it doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank if you've got bad relationships in your life. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank if you start having health problems. These are things that when we, we look at money too much... Money isn't the solve the problem solver that we make it out to be. Because you know what? Even rich people get sick. Even rich people end up getting divorced. Okay? Money doesn't solve every problem in life. Sam. Mm-hmm. Yes. Death is huge. That'll rock your boat. Especially when it's a child. Because we have it in our head. It's just that the way we live. We're going to die first. Our kids are going to have to deal with our death. We're not going to have to deal with their death. And when that is reversed, that's a mess. Okay? Work. Work. That's right. Yeah, because then you get the stresses of money. Because how many of you have wanted to do that spiritual thing and go to your boss and say, in Jesus' name, take this job? And Right? But you can't because you need the money. Right? And so then you're stuck at work in a job that often isn't paying enough working with people that drive you nuts. 
It tests us. It stresses us. Think about it, though. Every one of us here is faithful and steadfast to a point. We all are. You couldn't hold a job for a day if you weren't at least a little bit steadfast. The issue is not, do we have these things? The issue is, do we have them where we're supposed to? Are we steadfast at the level we're supposed to be? Because being generally steadfast isn't really good. Having a car that starts most of the time is not generally good enough for us. I like to remind people, if you had a car that started nine out of every ten times, would you call that good? That's 90% of the time. Come on, that's pretty good. But when you start calculating that you'll get in your car and go here, you'll get in your car and go there, if your car only starts nine out of every ten times, it's going to be failing every day or two. Every couple of days, three or four times a week, your car won't be starting. If your car doesn't start three or four times a week, that's not good. Now, people, let's be honest. How many of us are less faithful than that when it comes to God? 90% of the time? Come on, we're not even doing that good. You see, we have lowered the bar on ourselves spiritually so much that we're not even really steadfast at all on the spiritual stuff. We're on again, off again so much. We're so unreliable in our service to God and our faithfulness to God. We need this text today. We need to be spoken to about how God wants to work in our lives. But James is telling us here in verse 2 that the trials of our faith produce steadfastness. And this is where I want us to focus today for a few minutes. This is the point of the sermon. Those trials that we're struggling with, God wants to use them to bring about steadfastness, to bring about faithfulness in us. And we need a change in our attitude today because we hate those things. They drive us nuts. But James says in verse 2, we should count them joy when we go through these trials. Because God has a purpose here. This is important. We want to run away from those struggles. We want to avoid those trials. When James tells us we need to run toward them. Because it's those very trials that God is going to use to make us stronger in our faith. Because God sees us slipping. God sees something in us and he says, you know what? I need to tighten that up. We want the testing to be over before the testing does what it was supposed to do. And if God is putting us through these tests, if God is putting us through these stresses so that we might grow, if we get out too early, the growth won't happen. 
God is not putting us through these stresses for the fun of it. We often look at our lives and a a, a stress will blow up in our lives and we'll say, what did I do wrong? Why is God doing this to me? That misses the point. The trials that God is putting us through are not necessarily because we have sinned. Maybe God's trying to strengthen us up so we don't sin. Because God sees down the road something that's coming ahead that we don't even see. And God says, I need to get them ready for that. I need to prepare you because if you think this is a big stress, wait till the next one. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but I get to those points in life where, oh, it can't get any worse than this. And God says, oh, yeah, it can. <laughs> Watch. Oh, I can't take anymore. You ever been there? I'm going to break. I can't take anymore. And God says, oh, watch. You can take more. That's when God turns the heat up even more. Have you ever gone through life and you've got one problem you're dealing with and you can't even get that problem taken care of before another problem crops up? Do you know why? Because that one problem, if God were just to allow one problem to come into our lives at a time, we could handle that on our own. It's precisely when God starts stacking them up that we throw up our hands and say, God, what am I going to do? We need that extra stress. God's got to turn it up to broil to get our attention often. God is working in our lives in a way that this is, it's amazing to me. How many times we're like, I just don't understand why God is doing this. I just don't understand. Gee, it was such a super secret plan that God had. He wrote it down for us. Wow. The trying of your faith produces character. It produces that steadfastness. God's plan is not a secret here, folks. He's doing something here to build up our faith. To build up our Christian character. Instead of asking ourselves why, as in this shouldn't be happening, we should be asking ourselves why does God see this needful in my life? You do understand God is not a sadist. A sadist is someone who just inflicts pain for the experience of experience. They get some joy out of that. God doesn't get joy out of inflicting pain in us. God causes these struggles to happen because he sees something in us that needs to be changed, that needs to be fixed. This is the plan of God. It's not senseless. It is purposeful. Now, how many of us claim that we want the will of God in our lives? Well, guess what, folks? This is it. The will of God is that we be kicked around and struggle and get frustrated. Why? Because that's what brings growth in our lives. Does it have to be that way? I don't know, but that's the way God has chosen for it to be. This is the plan. This is the way that God has ordained for us to grow. And every one of us has experienced it working. We go through something and we say, man, this stinks. This is awful. I wish this wasn't happening. 
But then later on down the road, we look back and we see how God used that to grow us. God used that to strengthen us. It was for our good that it happened. And if God had listened to us when we were crying, Oh God, get me out of this. God, get me out of this. We wouldn't have grown. God loves us enough to keep us in the fire so that we might grow, so we might be tested. What is the goal? Well, James tells us that as well. Look at verse 4. James 1, 4. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's a problem today, people. How many of us run around and say, well, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. We have now used that so much it's become a crutch. Did you know that God's plan is for you to be perfect? And God's method is to keep testing us, to keep trying us, to keep pushing us until we become more perfect. Steadfastness has a goal. And that is, do you see it? That we might be complete, lacking in nothing. Another way of looking at that is the word maturity. God is trying to grow us up. Now, at the risk of offending you, how many of us need to acknowledge today that that's a huge problem for us, that we just need to grow up? We are spiritually immature. To put it mildly, we're big fat babies. You know what I'm talking about? Every time there's a little bump in the road, oh, poor me. Grow up. Life is hard. It's not meant to be easy. And the purpose of having God in our life is not to make our life smooth. The purpose of having God in our life is so we can have a resource to get through the difficult life that we have. Quit your crying. As we begin to start understanding God's plan of testing our faith, we realize this is what we are to expect. We understand in our own lives, we don't grow spiritually when everything is fine. We just don't. And those five things that we looked at at the beginning, our love, our service, our hope, our, our faithfulness and, our, and what we believe, all that. God is trying to mature you in those areas. And when we went through that list, every one of us acknowledged we've all got room to grow in each one of those areas. So how can we say, well, I don't know what God's doing. Yes, you do. He's trying to help you become more steadfast in all of those areas. All of it. God's goal is to take us from where we are. You might be doing better than other people, but that's not good enough. God's goal, did you see that in verse 4, is not that we be better than other people. God's goal is that we be perfect, that we be mature ourselves. Just because you're doing better than some immature Christian somewhere else doesn't mean you're doing well. 
too many of us are comfortably stuck where we are and we're not growing. And we need God to come in and to test our faith to move us forward. We aren't mature Christians, none of us. And we're not maturing. That's what's even worse. We're not where we're supposed to be and we're not getting there either. We're just stuck. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, he talks about the person who doubts. He said, if you ask of God and you're doubting, don't expect to get anything from God. Because of our immaturity, because of our lack of faith as Christians, we are not growing the way we should because we don't have that confidence to trust God even during the storms of life. Read Scripture, people. Come on, read Scripture. Look at the trials that God's people went through. Joseph, in the Old Testament, was a righteous man serving the Lord. He got thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. That's not fair. And when he finds himself a slave and then in jail, in prison, For a crime that he didn't commit, what do we see? We see a man who's still faithful to God. Had been me, you throw me in prison for a crime. I well, screw that, God. I'm you're not going to take care of me, then I'm not serving you. No, he was faithful to God, not because everything was right in his life. He was faithful to God because God deserves faithfulness. And God blessed him because of that. Look at verse 12. This is where it gets fun. Verse 12, James chapter 1 said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Look at that phrase, under trial. Being steadfast when you're not under load, when you're not under trial, means what? Nothing. God wants us to be able to remain steadfast even during trials. Now stick with me. Remember where we began a few minutes ago? How many of us are using our trials as the excuse not to be faithful? We're using the trials in life as an excuse not to be steadfast. Well, God's just got to understand, i got all these problems in my life right now, and I'll be back to church when I get my problems solved. That's just stupid. You're going to try to solve your problems without God, and then when you get your problems solved without God, then you'll come back to God. Yeah, that's real smart. No, the blessedness comes from remaining faithful when everything in life is trying to knock you off your faithfulness. When you remain steadfast under pressure, like when your Humvee is going down the New Jersey turnpike at 70 miles an hour, you want those wheels to stay on. Yeah, but they stay on when they're going 20. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I need them to stay on when we're humming down the road. And God wants to build steadfastness in us that even during the worst of trials, we remain true to Him. In chapter 5 of James, he brings up this idea again of steadfastness and the blessedness that comes from that. And in chapter 5, verse 11, he makes reference to Job. Remember Job? That was a steadfast boy right there, wasn't it? I mean, he lost 
his kids. He lost his fortune. He lost his health. About the only thing the guy still had was his wife, and I'm not sure he was even happy about that one because she wasn't very helpful. His wife looked at him one day and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And the Scripture says he wouldn't do it. He said, naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked I will die. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He remained steadfast even though he went through trials. That's what God wants in our lives today. This is key. There's a blessedness that comes from staying fast in what we believe. People, we ought not to believe that heaven is the reward of somebody who isn't steadfast. Again and again and again in Scripture, we're told, he who remains faithful to the end will be saved. If we are not faithful to the end, we are not Christians. And God is working to bring about steadfastness in all of his children, not just some. If you are a child of God, he wants to bring about faithfulness in you, period. End of sentence. Under stress, under persecution, no matter what's going on in life, God wants us to be faithful and steadfast, stuck to what we believe, serving him just as much as if everything was going fine. So finally, let me give you two tips. Two things. If you want to be more steadfast, here's what you need to do. Number one, tighten up. You don't want your wheels flying off at 70 miles an hour. Make sure they're tight. How many of us are going around with loose wheels? We're not tightening things up spiritually in our lives. We let our prayer life slide. We let our Bible study time slide. We wonder why we're not being faithful. It's because we need to tighten things up. In case you want a scripture to back that up, 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells us to pursue steadfastness. We are not to sit back and just say, well, I'll be more steadfast when God makes me steadfast. Until then, you know what? I am what I am. No, pursue it. What does that mean? That means you look at your life and you say, I want the blessing of a steadfast faith in God. I'm going to tighten things up in my life. Sunday morning rolls around and you feel like staying home. That's when you say, I need to tighten things up and make sure I get to church. Because if you feel like staying home and you stay home, what you're saying is, I don't even care to be faithful to God. Tighten up your life. Be faithful. Be steadfast in every spiritual area of your life. Oh, but preacher, but preacher, I'm telling you, I used to be steadfast. I'm telling you, I used to be as steadfast as anybody. Do you know what we call somebody who used to be steadfast? No longer steadfast. That's what we call them. We want to point to a time in our life and say, man, I used to have it all together back then. I was serving the Lord faithfully back then. Good for you. What does that mean for today? Right? 
just because your wheels used to be nice and tight back then, I want my wheels to be nice and tight today. Tighten up. When you admit that you used to be more steadfast than you are now, you're admitting you could do better. Because you used to be. Number two. Not only should we tighten up, we should pray to God, tighten me up. Some of us old men, we're we're not as, as spry as we used to be. You might not want to put those lug nuts on all by yourself. You might want to say, God, bring that impact wrench over here and tighten these things up for me. If you want to be steadfast for God, it's not good enough to just tighten things up yourself. You say, God, if you see anything loose in me, tighten it up. Because let me tell you, you don't know what's going to happen next week. You don't want to happen next month, next year. People, you don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. You might pick up the phone call and your, the bottom of your world might fall out. And that's when you need things to be tight. Don't wait until the bottom falls out to say, God, tighten me up. You pray, God, tighten me up and keep me tight. Now, guess what? When you in faith go to God, what verse 6 says, when you in faith say, God, tighten me up. You know what God says? Okay, I can do that. And you know how God does it? Through trials. Through struggles. Through problems. And that's why we don't want to pray that. I don't want more problems in my life. I got enough problems as it is. But our loving God knows what we need to get our faith tightened up, doesn't he? And by faith we say, God, if you see something slipping in me, if you see a problem in me, tighten me up. He will. Provided. Provided that you're keeping yourself tight too. Come on. If you're out there loosening the lug nuts on your wheels and say, God, tighten me up, right? God's like, please. If you're not even going to try to keep yourself tight on your own, Why should I bother? But if we're sincere about this, if we're being honest, God will tighten us up because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. He wants us to have that blessed life that comes from steadfastness. Do you? 